Welcome to the Progression Health Podcast. This is episode number 58. I'm here with Tyler Yasuda. Tyler, would you like to introduce yourself to the people? Thanks, Ross, for having me. Uh, it's good to see you again. So I am, I, I have been Ross's coach for a while on and off. For how many years have we known each other now? Oh, 40? <laughs> um, Feels like? Definitely been my coach for two years, I think. So yeah, yeah. I, I'd say two full years is a, is a good estimate. Um, I so uh, really, really, I'll try to run through the cliff notes of my my story here. Uh, I was I competed in bodybuilding, uh, natural bodybuilding, from the ages of like seventeen onward. I did a total of, I think, uh, it was a total of nine shows across three seasons. Um, I did fairly well. I was competing in teens and, and juniors, so much lower standard of competition, but I won every age category show I ever did on a pro card at the age of 20. Uh, it's an NGA pro card. It's an important distinction. It's easier to do that than many other federations. Um, I held some powerlifting records as well. So uh, California state total record and the deadlift record for all of the deadlift record stood for like five minutes. The state total record stood for a few months. And that was back in 2014. Um, and I, I want to give myself credit, though, for I did those two things at the same time. So I was competing in bodybuilding and powerlifting concurrently, which is. At the time, I just thought it was a cool thing to do. It was a very hard choice uh, to, to make for, for, for anybody. But um, aside from that, I went to school for a little while, dropped out to start a business coaching people like Ross. Uh, I have done that full-time since 2014, uh, started probably in 2013. So this is technically my 10th year of coaching. Um, along the way, I've, I've started and, and failed sometimes, but we see that others at, at running other businesses. There's a charity I ran for a couple of years where we uh, used strength sports to raise money for cancer. There's an engineering company that I started that uh, we floundered very quickly, like a year and a half, two years in, we just ran out of money. Um, but we did make some cool stuff. We made the world's first modular carbon fiber wheel. Uh, there's another company that I'm building now. I don't have any ownership of it, but uh, I was hired to build this company. That's like a material science or tech development thing. Uh, and that's been kind of at the moment I split my time. I, I'm still full-time coaching and I give uh, my other job, maybe that sounds ridiculous. But I give my other job an additional 30, 35 hours a week on top of coaching full-time. Um, and, and I think it's a decent description of me. Yeah, a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. So with the, the bodybuilding and, and powerlifting going way back, how, how were you able to do the two at the same time and how much of a commitment was it? Because, you know, I know to do that many shows and uh, to do them so well at such a high level, I feel as though it's almost like a pro athlete sort of level of commitment. So, you know, what was kind of the sort of the setup you had, you know, coaches, everything that was going on to lead up to that? Well, to be fair, I was a kid, right? So like when I first started competing, it was the summer between high school and college where my responsibilities were next to nothing. Uh, so it's easy to make that choice and really lean into it. Um, if I wanted to train all day and eat every time I wasn't training, like I could, I could probably do that. I didn't have much to do. Um, so that was kind of an easy thing to get started. In. But like once, once I did my first show, I enjoyed it so much that I was like, this is my thing now. And, uh, I mean, Ross, you know me well enough where, like, if I decide I'm going to do a thing, 
it, there's there's not really a lot of scalability for me. It's like I'm going to do it completely as well as I know how to or as well as I can figure out how to do that. So that was bodybuilding. I was really lucky that I had some people around me. So uh, Bob Bellantina Smith, who are now the uh, owners of the WNBF, largest natural federation in the world. I actually met them way before that. Uh, I just needed somebody to teach me how to pose for bodybuilding. And they were the ones actually who convinced me um, in my head when I was a like teenager, I thought, okay, everybody's using drugs. I'm going to as well at some point, but they, they talked me out of it. They're like, no, like maybe don't do that for now. Maybe do a few natural shows, uh, like come do our show. If you like it, compete with us. If you don't, fine, go on your way, go do your thing, go take drugs. And I'm so glad they they convinced me because like, I, I imagine I'd be a very different person today, if not for that. Uh, I, I also was lucky enough to be, uh, I trained in the same gym as Alberto Nunez and like uh, Matt Ogus and Chris Lovato, like way back when. And all of these guys, uh, Ferto especially, they're, they're extremely generous with their their time and their knowledge. I never had a a coach like officially, but there were many times where, like I was going through prep and I'd ask somebody like Bob or I'd ask somebody like Ferto, like, hey, like, is what I'm doing, does this make sense? Like, is this where I'm supposed to be? And like, very often it was just reassurance, like to know that somebody else who's way better than me is telling like, yeah, you're on the right track. Just keep your head down, do the work, right? Um, it was super helpful. And there was actually one time like, I distinctly remember my last season, Berto, uh, he had seen me at my previous show and I wasn't super happy with the way that I had peaked. And I thought that I just needed to push harder to get a little bit leaner. And then he actually, that, that was one time he kind of corrected course for me. He was like, no, you're plenty lean. What you need to do and what you will do this next show I'll help you is you need to be way more assertive with your peak to make sure you're properly full for this final show and if you're properly full then you could actually show off all the conditions that you've, you've uh, built to so I, mean, I think I was very lucky to have certain people around me kind of uh, in my corner if you will a lot of it was circumstantial like you know being in school like school was definitely hard um, it was very competitive like academically difficult but there were never be a time in my life past that point where my list of obligations was shorter. So if I were ever going to do all of that at once, it was easiest then. The powerlifting thing, I just, uh, I almost felt like not pushed, but like um, it was very much influenced by a few of my friends who were also in the gym who like they were competing in powerlifting, but not bodybuilding. And they would tell me like, you're like, well, you're doing all this training. Like you're already doing the big three at a, pretty decent level. Why not just train them specifically and see if you can compete? Um, so one of my friends, Roy, Roy Ha, um, he helped me figure out how to like progress the kind of like more specific powerlifting strength a little bit better. Uh, and I started to realize like, oh, maybe I would do okay. And I decided I wanted to do it. And the, it was never a thing where it's like, okay, at, to make a point, I'm going to compete in powerlifting the same time as body, which is like that summer was kind of clear for me. I was like, okay, I'm going to finish my bodybuilding season here and there's a meet that seems like it'd be a lot of fun six weeks later <laughs> let me just do that um so yeah I, I think that was more so there wasn't a lot of thought that went into that choice to do both um but i was a kid and that's my excuse <laughs> yeah definitely not having a lot of responsibilities makes <clears throat> competing so much easier so do you think that for a lot of my clients, the biggest issue is adherence, right? It's like just getting to the gym. Do you think that because you were so, con it sounds like you were super consistent with your training right from the jump. And that meant that like you were in a position where you could just decide, okay, I'm going to do a bodybuilding show 
or I'm going to, and even not just with your training, with your nutrition, mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of people couldn't just decide, okay, you know, I'm going to do a, a powerlifting show. I'm going to do a bodybuilding show, but because it sounds like your training was super consistent right up, you know, from the start to even now and your nutrition as well, that gave you the opportunity to compete. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I mean, this is going to sound kind of funny now, but back then, you know, 10, 12 years ago when I started all this, uh, the ways that people dieted, it was like pretty much if you're going to get lean, you're going to eat your your fish and your your fish and your rice cake. <laughs> that is what you're going to do, right? But again, I was lucky enough to have some people around me who uh, knew better and explained to me like, that's not how it has to be. You could do it that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So. But yeah, it definitely took some effort to um, to diet well, especially through school, like uh, you know, dining halls and restaurants everywhere. Uh, people want to go out. That was tough. But having the tools, having a little more knowledge than I think a lot of people did at that time was really helpful for the flexibility uh, with dieting. The training thing for me, I kind of think from a fairly young age, like when I got into the gym in high school and onward, I kind of already realized at that point, like it's not just like the benefit that I'm seeking from training is not just I want to be jacked, I want to be stronger. It's like I here's a chance for me to do something very difficult uh, every day or damn near every day. And I, I forget where this thought comes from. I would love to be a little credit whoever said this, but there was a probably on a podcast or something that I was listening to. The thought is basically that you will you will suffer involuntarily plenty in your life right there, there's so much that you will have to do that you don't want to and you have to do it right like figuring out your taxes or, or waking up on time when you don't want to yeah that face you made exactly <laughs> um these are things you have to do whether you want to or not and the, the best way for you to prepare for those things is by giving yourself the chance for voluntary suffering so like for me training at a very fairly young age it was that and there were things before that in my life I, I kind of I, I think that I've always kind of been like that, but like I would find things to do that were very difficult and I would just do them. Back then when I was very young, I don't know that I realized the, the benefit entirely, but it felt good to know that I was making this choice. I'm gonna go to the gym. I mean back then I was gonna go to the gym, kill myself for three hours. I'm not recommending people do that, but that's what I did when I was in high school. Go to the gym, kill myself for three hours, and everything else that I have to do no matter what else it is is easier than that you know so I, I think the training consistency thing that for me for a very long time has been uh kind of an integral part of me taking care of myself if you will yeah you made it out to be much more than just simply getting jacked getting lean so something that i kind of forget that some people consider a lot is is steroids and uh, mm-hmm. you just touched on how the federation you competed on competed in is natural. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, I'm completely oblivious to the fact that like there's steroids out there. I just kind of assume that when you don't make that choice, it's just not out there. But apparently it is. So I just feel like it's good to talk about it. And like, I guess the benefits of staying natural for life mm-hmm. and um, yeah, why it's better to be natural because I, I feel like you see on social media, you see the Olympian stuff and it's like, Oh wow, you know, it's so much easier, but it's it's not necessarily the case. So, you know, obviously you don't have any direct experience with steroids, but yeah, could you just talk a little bit about that and you know the benefits you've 
seen from going natural, the natural route? Well, it's so, so staying natural, it's been a lot easier for me to be really small and really weak. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't even know that it's fair to say that it's like better. It's just, it's kind of like this. If you told me, uh, like, let's say we met when we were teenagers and you told me like, Hey, I really want to be a doctor when I grow up. It's like, well, okay, that's great. So you have to go to med school, right? You have to go to med school to be a doctor. You can't just show up at a hospital and they're like, Hey, I'm a doctor. You have to do that thing. And it's like for some sports, like, let's say you want to be Mr. Olympia. You're not going to do that without taking a bunch of drugs or some amount of drugs, right? And that's not to downplay the work and everything else that goes into it. There's a lot there, but that is a kind of prerequisite part of that pursuit. So I think for certain things, and I, I, I've changed my mind about this multiple times, but I think for certain things, it's almost like that's just a part of it. And you might say, well, it would be nice. It'd be better if nobody had to do that. And like, okay, fair point. But then like, stop watching the Olympia. Like even you and I, like we'll watch, we'll, we'll consume that media because it's entertaining. And, and in some ways it's like almost, that's like the pinnacle of bodybuilding because it's like so far removed from what we are capable of doing or what we're willing to do. And that's why we watch the same reason we watch pro sports. When you watch NBA on TV, you're not doing that. Cause like when you go play pickup basketball, it's the same thing. It's not the same thing. Right. So I, I guess I, I first want to acknowledge that some of the people making these choices, I think they're doing that because what they are pursuing almost requires it. But I also worry that like a lot of young guys getting into that, like nowadays, especially it's so popular, not necessarily just um, like androgenic anabolic serum, like the injectable stuff that, you know, uh, you might have Mr. Olympia using, but like, stuff like SARMs is like so popular. Um, and like, there's all these like, you know, really old pro hormones coming back. Uh, and there's kids who are like in high school dabbling with this. And it's just, I understand like their favorite TikToker got really jacked doing this and that's fine. But I don't think most of these people understand what they're getting themselves into. Cause like, especially starting to use at a young age, your ability to produce testosterone naturally later on is much more likely to be harmed than if you were to start using like at 30 40 years old when your testosterone's already been declining, right? And past that point, like let's say you go down this path where you're gonna start using a lot of people start using, they're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cycle this, right? I'm gonna go on and then come back down and go off for a little bit so my body maintains stability. And people intend to do that, but I, I think very frequently the down phase is where you're declining in testosterone, you're declining in dosage. Mentally and emotionally, it's very difficult to go from building muscle and strength rapidly and feeling on top of the world to feeling like you're losing all that. And not only that, like it's not just like the physical, like the tangible, okay, I'm losing muscle, losing strength. It's also like, I guess, biochemical or like physiological change in your body, like not having as much test and feeling terrible because of it. It's like you, you get into these periods of almost like uh, depressive episodes and it's, it feels shitty. So you're, you're strongly negatively reinforcing uh, this cycle that you're supposed to be going through. So a lot of these guys who are like, okay, I'm going to cycle. They end up just staying on for their entire life, right? They're just continuously using, which then requires a higher and higher dose. And, and with that, your exposure to risk, like long-term lifestyle-related disease, like things like, you know, cardiac events, which, I mean, how many guys have we seen who are competing at a high level or, you know, who are, are known users of, of these drugs who are dying in their 
forties. Uh, or, I mean, even if you're dying in your fifties, that's still very sad, you know? And like, kind of sit here scratching my head thinking like, well, maybe it was worth it to them, but I, I have a hard time believing that. Like, you know, some of these guys have families, like, is that really like, is it, I, I can't imagine whether we're stairs or anything else that anybody is sitting there on their deathbed thinking to themselves, oh, I wish I had less time. I, I promise I, I would bet that if you were at death's doorstep and somebody offered you a way to have even an extra year, even an extra day with your loved ones, you would take it, right? So to me, I think that, I, I guess I just wish people would think about this exactly as it is, like, is what I'm doing going to shorten my life? Because that's the, that's the stakes, right? And if there's a chance that it will, is it worth it? You know, but I, I think it's hard. Like a lot of people don't think of anything like that. It's more like, you know, is it worth it? You know, three months from now when I'm famous on, on TikTok or Instagram, whatever. That's exactly what I mean, where it's not someone looking to compete in the Olympia. It's someone looking to get through a fat loss phase or to build a little bit of muscle, like make newbie gains who's new to training, where it's not necessary at all. And again, the risks, they're not obvious. You know, you can see a lot of people on YouTube and on, on TikTok, Instagram, who are jacked and really lean thanks to steroids, obviously through hard work as well. Um, but then the long-term effects of that, or just, you know, the, uh, not the highlight reel, but the, the, the side effects are just not obvious and it's, no one's going to show that, you know? So that's, that's a really key thing to, to show to people who are considering it. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be the only way you get strong or you lose body fat. So, yeah. yeah. So, Let's say somebody's considering their first powerlifting meet. What would it require in their training? Because, you know, a lot of, uh, of clients of mine or just people in the general population, they struggle with adherence, like we mentioned, which mm. you have down, down pat. So why the, what does it require to prepare for your first powerlifting meet? And, you know, how much time should someone give themselves in preparation, roughly? So you mean specifically for the, the competitor? Or do you mean for the coach? For the competitor. So someone's listening, they're considering, and maybe even the importance of a coach as well. Um, well, I'll say something that sounds kind of funny, but I don't think anybody needs a coach. It, it's, I think some of that's just having like the reassurance that what you're doing makes sense. But then also um, a good coach will help you avoid making a lot of the mistakes that you probably would make on your own. But I, I will also say that learning through failure by making mistakes it's a very powerful experience you probably never make the same mistake again it's important enough to you how much time you need i think would depend on where you are at with your current training so let's say you've been doing this for a while like you've been training for years and you're just now deciding you want to be in powerlifting if that's the case you're already fairly strong right it's more so a matter of like how do i prepare my body to demonstrate this strength in the specific um confines of a powerlifting meet so that process, you know, peaking, tapering, basically we want a large base of volume. So um, quite a lot of work in your squat bench deadlift, which then over the course of some number of weeks, we'll come back to that. Some number of weeks, we want to taper volume down. And as volume tapers back down, fitness will increase. We'll say fitness as in, uh, we'll define fitness as your ability to demonstrate strength. Like how much of your total force capacity do you have access to? Uh, so 
volume goes down, fitness goes up. There's a point there where fitness peaks. We want that point to be like day of comp, basically. Um, so I would say for most people, bare minimum, you want like two, three weeks to go through that process. And that's assuming that you are maybe fairly new to all this and or um, you have the ability or necessity to ramp volume downward very quickly. Uh, the longest taper I might take somebody through is like maybe 12 weeks, but that's not, it's not necessarily to say that they're tapering down the entire time. It might be because their volume based in normal training is so low. If mine is fairly low, I would want some time to actually ramp my volume up first. So I have a larger base to then taper down from. So calling that whole 12 week phase of taper would be inaccurate, but I, I tend to think of it that way. Like this is my meat prep essentially. Right. Um, I, I do think some portion of that time or somewhere along that time, you really want to make sure you're squared away as far as uh, being familiar with and like really in tune with your, uh, your uh, commands. Like you want to make sure you're not missing a lift on a command. I only have two people I've ever coached who've missed a lift on a command. And I make sure that they know about it. Cause I have this conversation with everybody. Like do not be the next person across 10 years of my coaching experience that misses your bench because you didn't wait to re-rack it. And that's, a, that's a heartbreaking way to miss, right? It's like, you know, you were strong enough. You already did the thing. You just didn't wait for the instructions. So ensuring that you practice that during your peak is important. Ensuring that you are familiar with your equipment and you're comfortable. Like wearing a singlet's a weird thing to do. So making sure that you're comfortable doing that in public, like in a gym, honestly, I think is quite important because on a powerlifting meet, there's going to be dozens, if not hundreds of people watching you, even more uncomfortable, right? And and also don't do what I did and not get a singlet and have to borrow one on the day of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, luckily somebody had one but yeah definitely practice as much as you can for all those little details yeah ross and the guy he borrowed from they were actually using the same singlet in the same meet they were just getting naked between attempts <laughs> thankfully that's not the case but <laughs> and this is how he met his wife <laughs> but thanks to that image i will definitely have a singlet myself for the next <laughs> oh man also pro tip if you're a guy don't get a white singlet or maybe do, I guess if you, but probably don't. <laughs> um, but I, I think aside from that, the, the prep, a, a lot of that really is you kind of have to think of it. Like however strong you are is how strong you are. You can go through a decent prep. It doesn't have to be perfect and be in the position to demonstrate strength. A lot of the rest of that, like that determines your performance on the day of it's things that are like uh, it's conditions basically. Some of them you can control, some of them you can't. And this is why you see even some of the best lifters in the world have bad days, right? Because you have to show up on the day of meet. You cannot, if conditions are not prime, you cannot say, okay, hey guys, I'm going to come back tomorrow. I'm not feeling it today. You can't do that. You have to show up and you have to do whatever your best is that day, right? And that's the tricky bit. So there's a skill of competing that requires, in my opinion, requires some experience. So like, let's say you didn't have a coach, don't have a coach. You might want somebody there with you on the day of, whether that's a handler or a friend who's competed before, just to kind of be there with you to make sure you're not missing anything, you're not timing warmups incorrectly and so on, right? Uh, or, or I've seen um, I've seen a novice uh, competitor, like somebody new, I've seen them put chalk on their leg prior to a deadlift because they thought that that's what everybody was doing. It, it's baby powder you put on your leg so the bar doesn't drag. But they put chalk on their leg, not knowing that the white powder on everybody else's legs was baby powder. And they just, they missed their deadlift. And had that person been told otherwise, or, you know, somebody had caught that earlier, then yeah, 
probably would have maybe could have saved that lift, right? But uh, you live and learn, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. We we learn through our failures. So, yeah. With with your own training and even with my training, you know, trying to incorporate some running with the powerlifting, you can you can answer this as well. Is is that a trend that's you're seeing more often? And then, just for your own training, how have you changed it so that you can incorporate the running with your powerlifting? So getting stronger, but also getting fitter at the same time. I don't know that that's really a trend. I've seen some people switch, like like Mark Bell. Um, that's that's really cool to see. Uh, where he kind of take a, took a big step back from strength training. I know he still lifts, but he's like doing a lot of running. Um, you have like a handful of other people, like, like Nick Bear is the best example I can think of, who like he's actually doing both things or whatever he's doing at a very high level, right? That guy's crazy. Uh, you, uh, me, uh, you know, a small handful of others, but I don't, I don't think that it's a thing that a lot of people look at like, oh, I want to do that too. I think it's a thing that people look at like, well, what the hell? Why would you do that to yourself? Uh, a fair point, right? Because you and I both know how hard this is, not just like the difficulty of doing the thing. It's also the difficulty of figuring out how do you manage this? So, so like for me, I was used to, um, I was used to like when I was training exclusively for like strength and, and, and bodybuilding, training like six days a week in the gym, like lifting weights. And, and the volume was like, I would say moderate to like moderately high across the board. I can recover from that, no problem. Eating a lot, it's great. Uh, and then introducing running, I mean, it's so different. Like the recovery demands for running, um, at first to me anyway, it seemed like it was disproportionately high. Like something that shouldn't be that hard or doesn't seem that hard on paper, like, you know, here's a two-mile run. Um, that might affect me more than like an entire resistance training workout. And then this is to be clear, largely because I was adapted for strength and, and resistance training in a way that I was absolutely not for endurance at all, right? When I started running again, I don't think I had actually run a whole mile in the previous, like, five years, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, the trickiest thing is, I guess, being okay with uh, and kind of setting the ego aside, you know, almost, there's a part of me that was proud of it, oh, I'm training six days a week I'm, I'm training really hard all this volume whatever setting that aside and being like, okay what can i actually recover from first and then once you figure that out it's like what can i recover from and then it's also what will be effective training to pursue both these goals at the same time and, and at what pace because the pace at which i can progress strength and hypertrophy it's much much slower having uh incorporated endurance as well and i Say the same is true the other way around. Like the pace at which I can push my endurance is much slower because I'm also doing everything else. Like being more muscular is probably the worst thing you can do if you're trying to run like a marathon. One of the worst things you can do. Like it makes you less efficient. So figuring all that out and then more so being okay with the uh, the adjustments you have to make to your training. I think that's one of the hardest things. So so like nowadays I I lift four days a week, but that schedule is basically I am. I'm doing other things in these training sessions, of course, but I only squat once. I only deadlift once. And I have one primary, one secondary bench day or, or pressing day. And the volume is extremely low compared to what I've done in the past, like extremely low. Um, like this past week on deadlifts, I've only had four working sets. And those four working sets only add up to like, maybe like nine reps. 
uh, which is, that sounds crazy, but like, that's apparently enough for me to continue to build. Um, so I have my four resistance training days and I have two endurance training dedicated days. And uh, this seems for me right now, part, partly just like optimization and training, but also just fitting this into like my, my life seems to be best case for me at the moment. Um, still very hard, but you know, what would you expect? Yeah, it's, it's definitely doable, but it's, you, you got to plan it out right. And with, uh, so we were just talking off air about, you know, taking deloads and kind of undershooting with your training. Is that something that with a, a training plan when you're trying to do something as difficult as run and powerlift at the same time, when you're laying out your training, you have to err on the side of caution and undershoot to, to do it sustainably? Um, yeah, well, I don't know about not necessarily undershooting. Uh, I, I would say maybe the more accurate way to say is like just being like rationally conservative with what you're prescribing to yourself. And then the thing we spoke about was kind of scheduling a, a deload or a uh, lower volume phase for either your running or for your, your lifting and doing that almost preemptively. Like you may not feel like you need it, but maybe you do that anyway. So like for me nowadays, it's scheduled where it used to be like, okay, how what, what do my metrics look like how do i feel do i need the deload okay let's take the deload if we need it nowadays it's like at the end of this phase i am taking a deload whether i think i need it or not because the chances are that i may not feel like i need it and i end up meeting it like midway through next cycle and kind of realizing it too late um, so I, I think again it's one of those things where kind of you have to just be okay with the adjustment you're making even if it feels like you are uh, slightly hindering your progress on the long term, you're not right. If, if you're not getting injured, if you're not falling off uh, of the wagon entirely, uh, it, it's like a war of attrition. Like if you could just last, if you could continue doing this thing, making any amount of progress at all, you will get very, very good at it. But the simple fact is that most of it, like you and I both have had periods like where we've fallen off because it's just very difficult to stay on it, you know. Yeah, there's even a skill of just getting back on track with your training each time you fall off. Yeah. Do you think that there's a skill or maybe a discipline to... So basically, I think a common kind of misconception is that you just have to be able to like train hard and, you know, harder is better. But there's also like mm -hmm. a skill on the other end of being able to pull back and like take a deload as well. So like no one went to push your training and then no one went to pull it back. There's like two separate skills. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wonder a little bit why that skill of like scaling back is not more commonly talked about. And I, I'm kind of just thinking out loud, but I think maybe that's because tendency for the majority of people is the opposite. It's like the, the majority of people will struggle with working hard enough or doing enough. And there's like a very small subset of people who it's like, they get so good at that part where it's like, you have to reel them back in a little bit. You Ross definitely fall in that category. <laughs> you need to be reeled back in every once in a while. That's why I have a coach. Yeah, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, that that said, the coach thing, I, I'm making a really hard case for people wanting to hire coaches at all, but you don't need a coach to do that. In a sense, you almost want to make sure you can do that without a coach. Like, you should be able to make good choices, intelligent choices without your coach. And even as you're working with a coach, that should be the eventual goal. Like we've always talked about if you don't get to a point where you can do this by yourself or you feel comfortable doing it by yourself, then I'm not doing my job right. No. 
and it makes me it makes me feel really good. I'm I'm not assigning myself credit for anything, but it makes me feel really good to know that like somebody like you who I've had a little bit of influence over is not only capable of like handling himself, but also like you're helping a bunch of other people, right? And, and there's been I was just telling Christine this the other night, like I uh, I'm gonna get a little bit into the weeds, but one one thing I've worried about a lot over the course of my career is that I can only work with so many people at once. And if I do the math, that adds up to probably a few thousand over the course of my entire life. If I die when I'm 100, it's only a few thousand people. And great for those few thousand, but I also kind of like, there's an overwhelming feeling almost of like, I should have done more. But then the other way I can think about that, that makes me okay with all this is like, if I help a, a Ross Dempsey, if I help a a Matt Shimazu, a Cyril Park, if I help these guys who have a little bit more reach, who these are the people who are going to take what we do together and they're going to then use some part of that and build on it and then share that with the world around them as well in a very significant way. There's like this ripple effect, right? Then maybe indirectly, maybe directly for me, it's it's still only a few thousand over the course of my life, but maybe indirectly ends up being like, you know, many more than that because of people like you kind of pursuing you know service of, of others basically right yeah <clears throat> that's a great yeah, that, that's that's my that's my my tangent for today not much of a tangent pretty on topic but something that makes me think of is you know just having a coach and you know whether you have one or not tracking your training is something that i just think is like yeah to, to training long term if you're not tracking what you're doing I really, I really try to over like oversimplify anything with regards to fitness because I think that's more practical. So basically, if you track your training, if you plan it, it'll be exponentially more effective. But there's only a fraction of people who work out or do any sort of fitness that do that. So in your experience, or if you could think of any wisdom you have, what would make it easier for people to track? If I could just blindly advise anyone, you know, I would say like, figure out a way to track your training because what gets mm -hmm. measured gets improved. But yeah. What, what, what would you say to anyone who isn't making the, the progress they want to see in their fitness and is thinking about tracking or planning? I, I think one thing is reducing the obstacles to actually doing the thing. So uh, if there are, is let's say a short list of options, like let's say you have a journal that you bring with you or a notepad that you bring with you to the gym, that's one way you can do it. Uh, maybe you have a program on a spreadsheet. That's another way you can do it. Um, or maybe it is, uh, maybe some people just film their training, right? They just record their lifts and they like put numbers in on their Instagram posts, whatever. <laughs> whatever is the easiest thing for you to do consistently, I think you should, if somebody's struggling with that, you start there. Just so you have some way to track and then come back and look. Um, but I, I think also just understanding the importance of that. Like the reason it's so important to track what you're doing or, or have record of it is because I guess it's easy enough to know if you're making progress, but like when you're looking back, it's helpful because you can kind of say like, what is most effective of all the things I've tried to do? And I, I guess maybe a step further than that, it's like to convince yourself to do this, you kind of have to understand why it's so important. You can take it, uh, like you and I have used the, the different examples of the same thing. It's like when it comes to managing your time, you should maybe every once in a while audit. What does a day look like? What does a week look like? Where am I wasting time? Because if you, if you never do this, then you never honestly evaluate yourself. You don't give yourself the chance to improve if you cannot look back on like 
past, uh, you could say, mistakes or inefficiencies, right? And that applies to maybe your time management, maybe your training, finances especially, right? But giving yourself the chance, but then also like being able to actually be honest with yourself as to what this all means. So when you look back on your training, you're like, well, shit, I was supposed to be hitting like an RPA, but this was like clearly a 10 when I watch it back a week later, right? Um, Or I'm supposed to be getting up at, you know, five, but I'm actually rolling out of bed at like five sixteen instead. Like stuff like that. If you, it's hard to want to do that to yourself because it feels bad to look back. Like I didn't do what I was supposed to, what I said I was going to do, but it is very necessary if you intend to actually improve it. Yeah, it's absolutely essential. So when you started out training, was that a skill that you just picked up straight away or were you sort of just going in and, and training what, you know, what, what felt good? How, how did you start your training initially and how did you plan out your workouts? Uh, when I first started, <laughs> I was in high school. I'd, I'd actually already been kind of training. Like uh, I had weights at home and stuff. So I didn't know much. I just uh, did what I thought made sense or like what muscles I, I thought I was going to work out over some time, like back, back in those days. I feel so old, but back in those days, you'd go on bodybuilding.com forums and you see what other people were doing. We'd talk about it in the forums and like, you know, things like we come up like uh, legs push pull was like the, the latest, greatest craze. So people would do that for a while. Um, or seal rows became really popular for a little bit, right? So whatever it was, like you kind of just, it was, it was definitely a thing like kind of following trends of the people that I was around or kind of even like virtually around. But in, in doing so, you get to test out a bunch of different theories and see what works, what doesn't kind of thing. Um, that was like my entry at some point, uh, probably around the time that I started getting ready to compete in my first season of bodybuilding, it became very important to actually do what we're talking about where you're tracking and you're making comparisons and you're actually like unemotionally, um, making decisions as to like what is actually better and what is actually just nonsense. There's a lot of nonsense, as you know. Yeah, unemotionally, the word you use there, it's like the, the perfect example is like, oh, I'm feeling good today. I'm going to hit a PR. I think that's a really common like mistake I would have made starting out. And the comfort, the certainty I have with having a plan in place to know that I'm not going to push too hard or, you know, undershoot like sort of recklessly. It kind of holds it holds myself to a more consistent standard. I think that's the best way to describe it. So. Yeah. So we'll fast forward to, to right now. So how far do you plan your training in advance? You know, is it necessary? Is is one week in advance enough? Or do you do like a couple of, you know, weeks in advance? How does it look like now you're, you're tracking? So I, I will, uh, for myself, this varies person to person. So people I'm working with might be different, but I will plan out an entire, uh, I think it's a 10 or 12 week cycle for myself. When I say plan that out, like I have frameworks done, I know what I'm training on which days, but I don't know numbers. Those numbers are going to be run uh, as I go through the cycle. So as I finish up my fir- my very first block of phase one, that might be like a technique phase. As I finish that first block, I come back in here, I crunch some numbers, and I prescribe numbers or project numbers for the coming block, so the next week. And then I kind of rinse and repeat. And as you go through the course of the entire thing, if it's 12 of those uh, those weeks of, of data, you can get to a point where you are really refined in your projections. Um, by the time you arrive, you know, like halfway through your cycle, when it like really starts to matter. 
I, I do think for some people, like especially people who are like just starting out training, it, it is sufficient to just plan out, you know, even a day ahead if you wanted to do that. But having a plan at all is really important. Like you don't want to arrive to the gym or, or whatever the endeavor is kind of thinking like, well, what, okay, I'm ready to work, but what is the thing I have to do now? Right. You want to already have that choice made. So it's just like you aim yourself in the direction you need to go and just, you go. So, yeah, then again, we're not being emotional and, and, and making emotional decisions. Do you plan out your workouts to the day? So for example, you know, it's a Saturday, we're recording this. Do you know for the coming week, starting Monday, do you know, okay, I'm going to run this day. I'm going to, you know, hit the gym this day. How does it look for the week ahead? For, for me, I, I've tried really hard to get to a point with my, my work schedule that will allow me to know like, okay, like Mondays are my secondary bench day. Tuesdays are my squat. Um, and I, it's essentially upper lower, but I'll, I'll call it a squat day. Uh, Wednesday is my hard, fast run. Thursday is my um, primary bench, full upper. Uh, Friday is deadlift, full lower. And then the only one that's like kind of up in the air, because it depends on what the weekend looks like with my family, with Christine, or with Ross Dempsey. <laughs> it's just like a, I'll have my long run, my longer, easier run on either Saturday or Sunday. But I, I allow myself some flexibility with that one because usually one of those days I'm going into work and the other one of those that I'm not going into work is my quote unquote day off, which is the day that I run. Don't use me as an excuse to skip your workout. Whatever you do, please don't. No, there is no excuse. Yeah. Not at all. That's what I was going to get to next. So you have all your days planned out. Do you ever, you know, is there ever a situation where you miss a workout? What if you're tight on time? Do you, do you say to yourself, right, I'm just going to get my, you know, my primary lift in, how does that look like in a week? It's extremely rare. I, I think in the, in the year so far, I don't think I've missed a workout um, at all. And like my, my life is not that always that easy to predict. Like there was a week in January where on like two days notice, I had to fly out to like a conference or something. Um. And I still like I, I missed training for those two days that I was there, but in order to like stay on track, I trained at a weird time the day prior prior to leaving, and then also the day I came back. I, I would say, and like Ross, you know me well enough that you could confirm this uh, if it sounds ridiculous. If I had a superpower, it would be uh, the power of like managing myself and managing my time extremely effectively. Um, to the point where, like, I, me and Christine were just talking about this. Sometimes I look, I look back on a date. I'm like, well, how the hell did I do all that? Or like a week even. And it's like, well, I, I know how, but it just seems a little bit crazy. And I, I think because I've become fairly good at that, it allows me to do everything I need to do. Where, like, I'm not missing pieces. And a lot of this is not necessarily just doing things all the time really fast. It's also knowing very well how long things take. Like some people look at their workout, like, okay, I'm going to be at the gym for an hour. So let me block out an hour. But no, that's not true. Like you're going to be at the gym for an hour. So you need to block out maybe 15 minutes to get ready to go to the gym. Maybe another 15 to get there. Maybe another 15 to actually like transition your head space into training. And then your hour for training. And then another 15 to like wind down, another 15 to get home, another 15 to get put yourself away. That, that might be like two full hours, maybe two and a half full hours. Then, right. I think knowing that comes back to that idea of like actually giving yourself the chance to evaluate. So if you don't keep track of your time, you would never know. You'd always assume, okay, training is an hour, an hour long thing, but it maybe is not. So I, I think for me, part of it is just uh, 
yeah, I, I think that I've been able to be extremely consistent with my training because I am good at managing myself, managing my time. And I, I would, I, I want to make this very clear. I am not, there are people like this. I have been like this in the past. Uh, you know, the kind of people who are like, okay, I will not wiggle on my training. So everything else gets to suck. Like I have to train these days at these times. So if my, my wife needs me, my kids need me, they can go fuck themselves. I need to go train, right? It is not that at all. My order of priority is like training is like fairly low on that list, but I still get the training on consistently, uh, even if, you know, my people need me. I think that's an important one because a lot of people, maybe people listening to this, especially young people, you should probably keep in mind that like the people around you, like that, that's, that's the thing you should care about. Training. Yeah. That's important, but probably should come after everything else. Should do all of it though. To be clear, do all of it. Do all of it really well. <laughs> do all of the stuff you need to do, like look after your health. You know, have a social life, have your relationships in a good position, and that's to your the point we're making about tracking and planning out your training. I think you can do maybe not all of it. You know, in my experience, it's tough to do all of it, but you can do so much more if you put a little bit of planning into your training on the front end. It allow you to do more on the back end over the long term, so yeah. much more effectively. So, Tyler, that that's it. That's that's all the time we have. Thanks very much for the conversation and reinforcing so many good points around health and, and training. Is there any kind of final point you want to wrap up on, or links or website uh, places you want to point people? Yeah, to? Yeah, no, I, I would say that. Um, only thing I would say is that if the people out there listening to this are thinking about hiring a coach, you should strongly consider us. Um, he, I, I've worked with you in the opposite capacity for long enough that I know what you're capable of doing. I know what sort of knowledge you have and, and past that point. I think that one of your greatest strengths is it's your EQ. It's, it's not your IQ. Your IQ is great as well, but it's your ability to understand people and their emotions and their real lives aside from training. And I think that is often overlooked. Like, yeah, we can create the best possible training program. Many people can do that actually. But can you actually adjust that to fit into somebody's life? I think that you can do that better than most people can. Thank you very much. I don't know about how well I can do it, but I definitely, I definitely really try to do that and meet people where they're at. So this has been great. Thank you very much, Tyler. And maybe we'll have you on again sometime in the future. Good time, Ross. Take care, man.